You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Psalm 29, if you would please stand with me as uh, we read God's Word. I did not mark my space in my Bible for it, so I'm not as prepared, but I just opened it to Psalm 79, so I'm close. Y'all should be there because you've had a bit to, uh, to get there. Psalm 29, I do think that it's a, a bit of an interesting fact that I am getting to preach through Psalm 29 on the 29th of August. I don't know. <laughs> I always think those little things are kind of interesting. So Psalm 29, you don't have to read with me, but if you would just follow along with me. Title of the psalm in my Bible says, Ascribe to the Lord glory. This is a psalm of David, beginning in verse 1. says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders, the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare, and in His temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord Give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is the word of God uh, for the people of God this morning. Amen. Amen. Would you uh, join me in prayer? Father, we ask that you would come and do a mighty work through the preaching of your word in our hearts. God, that you would uh, come and give strength to us in our weakness and give um, courage to us in our fear and give um, peace to us in the midst of um, uh, in the midst of our uh, wandering in the midst of the chaos give us peace draw us to you help us to hear a word from you Lord we love you in Jesus name amen you may be seated Hey, so Psalm 29, um, gosh, I got to admit, I loved studying through this psalm this week. Uh, I get the privilege throughout the week with about uh, nine other dudes um, to be on an app called Marco Polo, where we, uh, we do what we call SOAP. Um, it's a scripture observation application prayer. And, uh, and so every day throughout the week, each of us in this group uh, would look at Psalm 29, and we've been doing this for a while. It's just, um, and we, we do this on the text that's coming up that Sunday. And, 
and throughout this last week as we looked at Psalm 29, we would pick a verse or two a day, each of us randomly, as the Lord drew us to a certain port, part of the text. And um, all of us guys were just kind of given our observations, some of our application, and asking for prayer. And it was, uh, to, for me, um, super rich um, in just hearing uh, how the Lord was speaking through his word to this group of men. And my hope is that this morning he would do the same among us as a church family. As I studied um, this week, <clears throat> I came across this thought that Psalm 29 really is like watching the devastation of a raging storm from the safety of your front porch. Say it again. Psalm 29 is like watching the devastation of a raging storm from the safety of your front porch. I don't know if you're as crazy as I am, but when storms come through, I like to stand on my front porch and watch. I love, <coughs> I love the, the, the beautiful show of lightning as it flashes across the sky. I love counting the seconds between the lightning and the thunder to see how many miles away the storm is. Um, I'm actually kind of weird that in the middle of the night if I am sleeping and a storm goes through and a massive clap of thunder wakes me up, it scares me, but I like it. Are you guys the same way? No? I, I am. I don't know. It's weird. I, when, it, when, when thunder happens in the middle of the night, I like jump out of bed and I'm really excited and I run out of the porch and I'll stand out there and I'll, I'll watch or I'll listen to that storm uh, blowing through. And Charles Spurgeon, um, he describes Psalm 29 as a psalm that is uh, meant to express the glory of God as heard in the pealing thunder and seen in a tornado. He followed that up with this statement. He said, these verses in Psalm 29 really do march to the tune of thunderbolts. I've never heard somebody put um, thunder and lightning bolts together, but Spurgeon did. He called them thunderbolts. And he just, he says, these verses in this psalm, they march to that tune, kind of that staccato, right? You know, when a storm is rolling through and the lightning flashes and the thunder hits and the lightning flashes and the thunder hits and it keeps on happening. Like that song, Thunder and Lightning. Or maybe it's ACDC's Thunderstruck. I don't know. Either way, his point is that there's like a staccato, kind of a tempo um, to Psalm 29. And it's meant to display the awesome power of God as a raging storm. Now, in terms of, of raging storms, I, I, don't, I don't think that I would be overstating things much if I were to say that it feels like we, um, across the world, have been living through a raging storm for the last few years, possibly. I don't think that's overstating things. I mean, in the last few years, we've witnessed everything from a worldwide pandemic to uh, increasing racial and social tensions, to political upheaval that to me seems like it's off the charts. Um, we've also experienced some of the most infuriating, I think, some of the most infuriating foreign interactions in the Middle East just over the last couple of weeks to month, right? And we're witnessing all of this on a scale that I think most of us have never experienced, at least to this level. And for me, it really does feel like we've been living in the midst of one 
raging storm after the next. And really, if you think about it, those things that I've just mentioned, those things are out there in the world, so to speak. I mean, we experience them. It's outside of us. The, the things I just mentioned, they don't even account for the normal day-in and day-out struggle that I think each of us wrestles with as we strive against the forces of Satan, sin, and death, right? Like every one of us still struggles daily with our own uh, personal brokenness, our own personal limitations, um, our own personal temptation or sin patterns. Think about your struggle with worry or doubt or fear, or condemnation. The list could go on and on and on, right? I mean, I could fill the rest of this sermon with all sorts of descriptors of the, the things internally that we struggle with, that feel like a raging storm. It doesn't take much for life to feel that way. Not too hard to experience. All that's been going on outside of us in the world, as well as inside of us as we struggle in, in daily life. Um, it's not too hard to experience those things and then wind up feeling really weak and really hopeless in, in the face of all of this. Sometimes I, I think I almost feel like Dorothy, you know, Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. If there was a scene in that movie where she was standing there watching that tornado coming towards her house, which I don't think there was really a scene like that. There's one for us as we watch it come in and swoop the house up, right? And then she lands in Oz or something. But I almost would feel that way, like Dorothy standing at the end of my driveway just watching this raging storm coming at me, and I'm helpless and hopeless to do anything about it. And the reality is Psalm 29, if you can, if you can like catch that sense or catch that feeling of what that's like, Psalm 29 is meant to be, I think, like a fresh drink of water for a really thirsty person or a, or a shelter for someone who's been facing the raging storms of this life. Psalm 29 is literally meant to be like the safety of the front porch as you watch the raging storm blow by and you're safe. That's what Psalm 29 is meant to be in the life of the believer. But the reality is that Psalm 29, according to one author I was reading this week, um, Psalm 29 is meant to teach us that the God we serve is not a tame God. It's meant to teach us that the God we serve is not a tame God. He's not a God that we get to lead around on a leash. Our God is not a puny God. You see, a puny God results in a very puny, very small faith. If you are in a place of your life where you're like, I'm really struggling to walk in obedience to God, the reason why is because the God of your imagination is too small. Therefore, your faith is small. Because faith in a big God, motivates big, faith-filled actions. A puny God results in a puny faith, but a mighty God, a mighty God results in mighty faith. 
Uh, the reality is that Psalm 29 was meant to be a wake-up call for Israel. Uh, even the way that it's um, organized with Psalm 28 previous to it. There's an element of Psalm 28 that um, indicts or confronts the idolatry in Israel and calls them to take shelter in a big God. Psalm 29 follows that up. It's meant to be a wake-up call, a reminder that the God we serve, he's powerful and he's mighty. Think about it. This God that's described in Psalm 29, his voice is mighty beyond comparison, right? What does his voice do? Many things. We're going to dig into it for a minute. But just think about it. This is the God whose voice turns cedar trees into toothpicks. Can your voice do that? I mean, I can yell pretty loud. Some of you have experienced that. But my voice is really puny compared to the voice of the God we serve because his voice turns cedar trees into toothpicks. This is the God that David says is our strength. If you say you trust in Jesus and you trust in God, then the God you and I say we trust in, he turns cedar trees into toothpicks. And that means that he is the strength that we live by. Therefore, meaning that when he calls us to obedient living, we, we do that obedient living by his strength. Let me tell you, whenever you try to live obediently to God and not bow down to some idolatrous thing in your life, and you try to do that in your own strength, here's what happens. Um, you ignore what God says because in your own strength, you're going to find a way to rationalize why what God said is not good enough for you. This is the same, go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Agreed? That's what happens when you do it in your own strength. When you are relying on God's strength, the proof that you're relying on his strength is obedience. That's the proof. That's, that's the whole book of James in a nutshell, right? Tell me about your faith all day long. I really don't give a rip. I want to see it. That's James. And really, it's not just James. I mean, James is just a book that's a, a, a very wise book. It's really wisdom literature, like Proverbs. Um, if you think about this a little bit further with me before we dive back into the text, just to kind of get us headed in the right direction, right? When we're talking about idolatry, or we're talking about... Um, um, we're talking about the things that we have a tendency to bow down to. Um, <clears throat> think about how often you bow down um, to some of these things, right? Okay? And maybe you're going to find multiples, or maybe you're just going to find one that is like your thing right now. That's what I'd hope you'd listen for, is something like that. Maybe you'd write it down. Um, think about how often you bow down to the God of money. And you don't manage that money the way God has instructed you to from his word. Okay. Think about the God of lust and the way that you either A or do not engage the fight there for that, to walk in obedience. Think about the God of bitterness or anger or unforgiveness or doubt or despair or gossip or slander or laziness control, or comfort, or power, or acceptance. So I could do this for a while, couldn't I? Couldn't we all do this for a while? Continue to come up with different words and things that can become the things that control our lives, right? 
Like, I think you and I probably both know that those gods, um, those statues, so to speak, that we would bow down to, that we would allow to control us, that would be part of our lives, that we would actually almost bring into our homes and be really intimate with and snuggle with them at night, those things, and they make really horrible taskmasters, they, they enslave us for their own gain, right? It's not for our gain, it's not for our good. Feels good in the moment, but we all know later the outcome's not good. Now the good news of Psalm 29 speaks into this. Because the good news of Psalm 29 could be char- characterized or categorized three ways. Uh, the good news of Psalm 29 teaches us that God's enemies, number one, have been warned. Number two, they will be destroyed. And number three, God's people can remain secure. Very basic, very simple. Let me say it again. The good news of Psalm 29 is number one, God's enemies have been warned. Number two, God's enemies will be destroyed. And number three, God's people can remain secure. The truth of Psalm 29 is that we have a place of refuge. And that place of refuge amidst the storms of all of those idols, all of those sins, all of those temptations, all those things that we have a tendency as broken human beings to run headlong after. The beauty is that we have a refuge from all of that in the person and the work of the crucified, risen, and returning Christ. So think about this first point. God's Enemies have been warned. Verses 1 through 2. Look at it with me. In verses 1 through 2, the psalmist says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Right? Notice, who's he speaking to? O heavenly beings. That's who he's speaking to. Not necessarily talking to you or I, although it's meant for you and I. He's speaking primarily at the start to heavenly beings. And what does he say to the heavenly beings? He says, ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord what? Glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. You've got to ask yourself, who are these heavenly beings? Most commentators would agree that the heavenly beings in verse 1, this is basically a Hebrew term that means foreign gods or idols. So it's interesting that the psalmist is speaking kind of on behalf of God, right? And he's speaking to foreign idols and, and things that we would bow down to give our... So he's looking at the God of lust, right? If that's your struggle. And he's saying, hey, God of lust, you need to bow down to my God and worship him and recognize the power and the glory and the strength that belongs to him. The things that would normally draw our attention and our worship, God through the psalmist is saying, no, 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 I don't think so. Let me warn you, you're going to bow down. You're going to worship me. You ought to do it now. You think about that. What God is basically saying to his enemies here these idols, that long list that I just read. When God is speaking to them, he's basically saying, hey, psalmist, you tell my enemies that I'm coming, and you can tell them heaven's coming with me. I love watching old westerns. 
Anybody want to take a crack at what you think my favorite old western is? Stop it. You got it. Tombstone. It's one of my favorites. Now, I love Tombstone because it's a story of Wyatt Earp. If you've never seen it, you should watch it. It's a story of Wyatt Earp and all his brothers and the famous Doc Holliday. They go up against this band of bad guys, okay? Now, I do love Tombstone, okay? It's got, uh, who's, the, who's the lead guy? Anybody remember? Ru- no, not Russell Crowe. It is Russell something, though. It's the other. Kurt Russell. It's that way. Yeah, it's Kurt Russell. He's the, he's the lead guy. Um, Val Kilmer plays Doc Holliday. Best Doc Holliday of all time, okay? Um, again, if you haven't seen it, you, you need to see it. Now, now that's, that's Tombstone. There's also, on, on, on a side, there's also a movie called Wyatt Earp. It's got Kevin Costner in it. That's the best Wyatt Earp. Kevin Costner's the best Wyatt Earp ever. And uh, from the other movie, Tombstone, you've got Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday. If you could take them and make a new movie, oh my gosh. <laughs> my new favorite movie, <laughs> okay? Um, it's, one of my, it's one of my all-time favorite movies, though. Um, watch it every year around vacation time. And uh, what happens in this movie basically is Wyatt Earp, his brothers, Doc Holliday, they go up against this band of bad dudes and they just annihilate him towards the end of the movie. There is a, um, you might have heard of, um, of something called the gunfight at the OK Corral that happens there. And um, towards the end of the movie, there's this scene where um, Wyatt Earp sets a trap for the bad guys, for his enemies, okay? He sets a trap and all his brothers are on the train and they're getting ready to roll out of town and the bad guys are actually thinking they laid a trap and they're going to sneak onto the train and kill Wyatt Earp and kill all of his brothers. But the reality is Wyatt Earp's hiding outside the train and he's just, he's just set this big trap for him and he gets this bad guy on the ground on his back and he's got him at the end of a double barrel shotgun and he's screaming at him, right? He's screaming something to the tune of... You go back to your buddies and you tell them, you tell them I'm coming and hell's coming with me. That's the way it goes, okay? <clears throat> they got their warning. That's the tone of this text. The tone of this text is God is thundering down from heaven and he's saying, hey, you foreign idols, you gods that have been plaguing my people for this long, you tell your friends I'm coming and heaven's coming with me. You see, a foreign god or an idol, again, is something, it's anything that we wind up bowing down to or get controlled by or give control or permission to in our lives. Back to that list of things like doubt or fear or laziness or greed or comfort-seeking or control or power, those are examples of the foreign gods, the idols that we oftentimes feel weak to overcome. Which one is it for you in your mind? What's the primary one lately that you've been struggling with that that has grabbed a hold of your attention? Because it oftentimes feels like these foreign gods, these idols, these sins that we struggle with that control our lives, it oftentimes feels like they're the raging storm all around us, right? But the reality, this is the reason I say Psalm 29 is meant to encourage us here, because in these opening verses, what we can be encouraged by is this truth that God's enemies have been warned. You will bow down to me. You who sought the worship of my children that I purchased at the cross, you you're going to worship me. You're going to give me all the attention that I deserve. You see, our enemies, like I said, they don't hold any power over us if we belong to God. Because ultimately, God's enemies are going to be destroyed. 
At the end of the day, the work of Jesus at the cross and the empty tomb, this gospel message that we, that we claim to trust in, that message of, of his work at the cross and the empty tomb and the promise of, of heaven when he's, he, he's going to come back, he's going to set everything right, right? And he's going to rescue us from this. All of that gospel message, that's the fair warning that God's enemies have been given. Their days are numbered. And one day they're going to meet the face of a raging storm. The face of a raging storm that's going to lay them to absolute waste. And that's the picture that we get in verses 3 through 9. That's the second thing that we notice in the text. God's enemies will be destroyed. One author that I was reading uh, this week, he recalled the devastation that happens when a huge tornado rolls through a community. When a huge tornado rolls through a community. You look at the devastation that is, that is in the wake. I mean, you think about the images in, in your mind, right? They're not pretty when you think about what a tornado does to a community. When you think about the devastating force of that tornado on a community of people. When that raging storm rolls through, what does it do, man? It leaves a, a path of destruction in its wake, doesn't it? It's massive. It's horrible. It's scary. It's sad. And that's the picture that the psalmist paints of God's enemies after they've been warned. He's already warned them, and he says, this is what it's going to look like. It's almost like he continues the warning, but what you get is this picture of what the destructive force looks like when God as a raging storm rolls through their midst. Look at what he says in verses 3 through 9. Follow along with me in your Bibles. And notice too, notice how many times the voice of the Lord is stated. Starts off this way. The voice of the Lord is over the waters, right? The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. Pause for dramatic effect for a moment. Lebanon and Syrian are basically shorthand in Hebrew for some of the two of the largest mountains in that area. And these two very large mountains were believed to be the, uh, the living place of foreign gods. See the connection? It's crazy. In other words, God's voice is going to make two massive mountains do what? Skip like a calf and a young wild ox. Literally going to make them tremble. It's a picture of like a newborn calf or a newborn ox, a newborn baby on these skinny little legs, trembling, basically saying these massive mountains that you think all these other gods live in, yeah, when the voice of my God speaks, you're going to tremble like a little weak baby. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. Kind of crazy. The way to read that would be premature labor. Makes that deer go into premature labor. And strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. That's the response. The response to that massive show of power, that devastating path of destruction, is 
everybody in God's temple go, glory. Like, it's an awe-inspiring moment. One commentator uh, told a story of being um, on a baseball team and they were playing baseball and a storm rolled through and a lightning came and struck a tree around the edge of the baseball field. And the way he told the story, he said, you know, when you see lightning at a distance, you, you just see it and then you hear the thunder and it sounds loud. But when that lightning came down and struck that tree, he said it was like this, this massive freight train. Um, the, the lightning bolt itself was super wide and it just annihilated this tree, turned it into sawdust. And he said the sound of it as it came was unlike anything you've ever heard. He said it sounded like hundreds to thousands of roaring freight trains when it hit the ground. He said the response of everyone on the team was to hit the ground on their faces. Even the guy that was on crutches, he said, threw his crutches as far as he could because they were metal. <laughs> they hit the ground on their faces. That's the picture of what happens when you and I would hear the voice of God. We would hit our faces. And we, the only thing we'd be able to say is glory, which means attention, weight. Glory to you, God. This is the image of God who is like a raging storm. The God who is like a raging storm as he destroys any enemy who stands in his way. So think about it. Satan, sin, death. When they raise their evil heads in your presence or my presence, when they raise their evil heads through things like temptation or condemnation, or fear, when those things begin to enter your life, what can you do? You can remind them that your God is like a raging storm. Our God is like a raging storm who's about to destroy their very existence. What you and I can do is we can stand against temptation. We can stand against condemnation. We can stand against all of the fear that we feel. And in those moments, as we stand against those things, what can we do? We can live obedience to God's word. So think about this, in an area of mismanagement of money, right, in that area, I can stand against the temptation to mismanage because I know that my God is ultimately going to murder and devastate my old enemy, not money, but greed. Because greed is the idol that's under any mismanagement of money, okay, always. Doesn't matter how we try to dress it up and make it taste better, or look better, it's always greed at the end of the day. I'll take it to one more level. Let's go to, uh, let's go to lust, okay? Lust. Um, if that's the issue, if that's the enemy that's raising its crazy head against you, you can say, hey, my God has destroyed you. Now, there's many different things underneath the God of lust. That's crazy to think about lust is nuts, okay? So it could be a comfort issue. It could be a, um, an acceptance issue. And in those places, you can say, you know what? All the comfort that I need is going to be found in heaven. I look forward to that. I can live in uncomfort now. Lust, pornography, those things will never give me what they're promising me. Or if it's an acceptance issue, you can remind yourself, God has annihilated that idol, that enemy, and he's given me all the acceptance that I need. See, in those moments, you and I can stand in obedience to God's word. Why? Because you and I both know that God's enemies are about to be completely annihilated by the raging storm of God's fury. As he rolls in, the picture that we get in this text 
um, painted by another author. He, he says, what we get in this text is we get this picture of God's fury. And you need to close your eyes to picture it. Picture this massive raging storm, this furious storm. It rolls in from the ocean. It blows through the trees at landfall. And then it continues moving through the mountains. And it's this massive display of really up close and personal lightning. And he heads throughout this forest of idols that we've been fighting our way through. And he just annihilates them completely. That's the picture. It's a storm that just moves through with devastating force, leaving nothing but destruction in its wake. Now, the problem for us is this. The problem for us is that we have been conditioned as humans in our fallen, sinful state to listen to voices that we shouldn't listen to. I always use illustrations like if, if you're in a crowded room, if my family's in a crowded room and I yell for one of my kids because I can't find them, I'm, I'm hoping they will recognize my voice in the midst of all the other noise. And we all know that's not always true. It's not always what happens, right? But that's the hope. The only reason that my kids wouldn't hear my voice or recognize my voice is because they began to listen to the other voices around them. Which is understandable because my kids are young, right? And so I think that that's where God's grace comes in and God's mercy comes in, is that we, we have been so conditioned to listen to all the voices that we shouldn't. And yet the voice of God here in this text, how many times is it mentioned? Who knows? <coughs> huh? Seven times. That's um, very important to think about. The voice of God is mentioned no less than seven times throughout this text. Why? What's it meant to remind us of? It's meant to remind us of God's perfectly powerful voice. There's, there's, there's nothing limited in God's voice. <coughs> My human voice is limited. Your human voice is limited. God's voice is not limited. The number seven is the number of perfection. It's why it's the number for God. It's why it stands in opposition to the number six in scriptures, because six is the number for man, and then if you put three sixes, it's the Antichrist, and yada, 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 right? <clears throat> At the end of the day, this perfect picture of God's powerful voice is meant to remind us that it's not only perfectly powerful in creation, it's also perfectly powerful in the destruction of his enemies. There will not be one ounce. There won't even be a sliver left of his enemies when this is all said and done with. God's voice, think about it. Think about the way the psalmist describes his voice, right? God's voice is so powerful that it turns cedar trees into toothpicks. It makes mountains shake and tremble in fear. It's like the, the, the bright light of lightning striking right next to you with the loudest thunderclap you could possibly imagine. Causes the forest to do what? To tremble. And the deer to do what? Go into premature labor. What does it do to the forest? It strips it bare and turns it into a bag of sawdust. That's what God's voice does. That's the voice we need to be listening to. Why? Because this is the awe-inspiring voice of God. Don't forget that the voice of God took 
on flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, who is, according to the scriptures, the word of God in the flesh. What did he do as the word of God in the flesh? He came and he died and he left the tomb empty and then he ascended into heaven, right? And he promised to return to judge the living and the dead and he promises to utterly destroy his enemies by the power of his very own word. And the image we get of this, of what this looks like, is in Revelation 19, 11 through 16. And it's a powerful picture. It's one many of you have heard me describe many times. Jesus with his clothes drenched in the blood of the martyrs. When I think about what's happening in Afghanistan right now, I received two different emails. Well, I saw one meme on Facebook that I think is probably true. And then I think I got an email from one of the denominations that we're part of. And the, the email described a final phone call between a denominational leader and some of the church leaders on the ground in Afghanistan as the mom in that church described, my kids have vowed to never turn their backs on Jesus no matter what happens. And then the next few moments, what the leader here in America heard was gunshots and screaming as the family was murdered. That's one. Two, there's a meme on Facebook that says something about a church underground in Afghanistan right now that was like, uh, 250 previously is now 2,500. I don't know if there's truth to it or not, but if there is, it makes sense because that's the way it goes in the scripture too. Persecution happens. What do you think happens to the church? Well, the fakes fall off and real people swarm in. That's what happened to the church then. That's what happens now. When I think about all of what's, when I sit and I watch and I see what's going on and I think about the horror of those things, I am reminded of this picture of Jesus coming back at the end and his clothes are drenched in the blood of saints. His eyes have got lightning bolts coming out of them. Okay, Thunderous lightning bolts. I think about the sword that's coming out of his mouth, which is this image of the word of God, right? I think about the tattoo on his leg. I think it's a tattoo. I don't think it's crayon. And that tattoo says, King of kings and Lord of lords. All are going to bow to that one. That's, that's, the, that's the picture I get. At the end of the day, the voice of God's enemies are never going to fulfill us. Never going to fulfill us, right? Never going to cause transformation to happen inside of us. Temptation, sin, condemnation, shame, guilt, lust, greed, fear. Those voices are always going to leave you empty. But God's perfectly powerful voice that's the voice that will always leave you feeling and remaining secure, which leads me to the last point in the text, verses 10 through 11. What you see in verses 10 through 11 is that God's people can remain secure. When I'm sitting there and I'm watching what's happening over in Afghanistan, or when I'm thinking about how crazy our country has become, or when I'm um, contemplating my own struggle with sin, in, in those places, I can remain secure. Now, the image of someone who remains totally secure, uh, this is the image of someone who remains absolutely resolute in his or, or her obedience to God. So if it's addiction that's your thing, or, or if it's laziness that's your thing, or it's gossip that's your thing. You can, you can remain securely obedient to God despite the whirlwind of, of, of that thing coming against you. 
You, you can stand um, resolute in your obedience to God despite that whirlwind of, uh, say, condemnation or temptation or, or fear. See, this kind of man or woman that's able to do that or is moving towards doing that, being that kind of person, that kind of person has laid hold of the truths that are contained in the final verses of this text. What does the psalmist say? Verses 10 through 11, look at it with me. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. It's a reminder of what happened in the days of Noah. And it's also an image of the raging storms that happened, right? The Lord sits enthroned in control as king, king of kings and lord of lords over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king. Now we add something else to it. For how long? Forever. Forever. Forever is a really long time. I don't think any of us sitting here have a clue of, of how long forever really is because we're not there yet. When I think of forever, it just it's easy for my mind to kind of think of that in such a way where it's more like until I die, right? But it's much bigger than that. It's forever. Moves on, he says, may the Lord give strength. Hashtag security. May the Lord give strength to his people. Help us to stand against the adversity that is constantly coming at us, the raging storms that are coming at us. May the Lord bless his people with peace. You put these two words together, strength and peace. You put those together and it is the image of someone, someone who is remaining secure. I'm secure because my strength is God's strength. I'm secure because my peace comes from him and what he did at the cross. It doesn't come from anything I do right or wrong. I'm standing in his strength and his peace. Therefore, I am secure. I know that God has warned his enemies. I'm coming and heaven's coming with me. And I know they're going to be utterly destroyed in the very near future. Here's the thing. As one other uh, preacher said, every, and one of our guys in our group this week kind of said something similar to this too, but and when I read it uh, in this commentary, it, yeah, it resonated. Every, every, every violent raging storm uh, that you face in this life, it's meant to remind you and I, of the final raging storm of judgment that is coming for God's enemies as our mighty king reigns his peaceful control over everything. See, every time you find yourself in the midst of the raging storm of either lust or, or greed or, or addiction or, or anger or gossip or control or laziness, what can you do? You can stand firm against that adversity. You can stand firm in obedience to God's word. Why? Because you know that you're being held securely in the hand of the God who reigns supreme over his enemies. Amen? As I wrap this up, I want to remind you what I said at the beginning. Psalm 29 is like watching the devastation of a raging storm from the safety of your front porch. As I conclude, I want you to think about this. Psalm 29 is like watching the devastation of a raging storm from the safety of your front porch. I don't know what storms you're walking through right now. I can only guess that you might be facing some of the same raging storms that are typically common to every person that's sitting in this room or within hearing of this message, right? Uh, you think about relationships are hard, right? 
A family can be absolutely exhausting. Uh, your mouth can get the best of you sometimes. Money is super hard to manage. Uh, lust does seem to lurk around every corner one way or the other. <coughs> think about fear. <clears throat> when I think of fear, man, I think of this insidious little creature. So I think of fear. It's like this insidious little creature that can paralyze the largest of men. A pretty big guy, and fear can paralyze me sometimes. Guilt, shame, those things can work overtime to keep you under their thumb and never let you out. Anger can boil over at a moment's notice. The desire for control or acceptance or power or comfort, those can be really tantalizing little idols too. Or loneliness, worry, doubt, fear. They can scream so loudly that it can be really hard to hear the voice of God. And so the questions are like this. Whose, whose voice are you listening to? Uh, whose image is looming large in your mind right now? What, what enemies have you been fighting this week? Whatever the answer to those questions, let me ask them one more time. Whose voice are you listening to? Whose image is looming large in your mind? And what enemies have you been fighting this week? Whatever your answer to those questions are, I want you to be encouraged. My hope is that this text would remind you that God's enemies have been warned. God's enemies will be destroyed. And because of those truths, you can rest securely in the presence of God and you can cry out, glory. You can give him the attention he deserves. Out of proof of all of these things being done, of these truths being true, that God has warned his enemies, God will destroy his enemies, and you and I can rest in security. The proof for that, it's the bloody cross. It's the doorway of the empty tomb. It's the promise of the hope of heaven. See, when, when you kneel down at the foot of the bloody cross of Christ, and you, and you stay securely there in the doorway of the empty tomb of Christ, and you cling tightly to the promise of the hope of heaven, what do you find there? You find there that the God that we serve, he's no puny God at all. He's no tiny, small little God that you can lead around on a leash. The God that we serve is like a raging storm that will consume his enemies and therefore secure his children. And my hope and my prayer for us is that we would each find refuge on the front porch as we watch our God move like a raging storm through our enemies. Amen? Would you stand with me? Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this picture of the raging storm that you really are. The raging storm that, that you are as you come, as you warn your enemies, those who have sought to control us and cause us to bow down to them rather than to you. Those enemies that would cause condemnation and fear and guilt and shame on weakness to, to rise up inside of us, God. I, I pray that you would cast a vision for us as we close of the mightiness and the power and the glory of your name, your voice. Father, lead us to the foot of that cross. Secure us in the doorway of that empty tomb. Renew within us the hope of eternity in perfect presence with you where you have said, hey, there's no more tears. 
There's no more sin. There's no more sickness in this place. All is well. All is good. The storms that we have faced in this life have led to one final storm where you have raged seemingly out of control in your own controlled way as you've destroyed those who stood against you. Help us to find our place there to rest in the finished work of Jesus at that cross and at that empty tomb as we trust in your return. Pray that you would inhabit our praises as we worship you in closing. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.